0: Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with Tanya Roca and host Christine Lukasavich, part of the TNS What Stories Does the Land Hold? series, co-presented with the Center for Humans and Nature.
1: Greetings and welcome. My name is Kira Epstein. I am the program coordinator at the New School at Commonweal. And I'm here today with Katherine Cummings from the Center for Humans and Nature to welcome back our host, Christine Lukasavich, and today's guest, Maori artist, designer, and activist, Tanya Rucca. So, this is the second conversation in our What Stories Does the Land Hold series. And it's been such a joy and my pleasure to collaborate with the Center for Humans and Nature and with Christine on this. Um, And we have one more event after this on March 29th with author and journalist Wabgijik Rice. So we hope that you'll join us for that as well. We are recording and we'll have the produced audio and video files available on our website. It'll also be posted on our SoundCloud, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify feeds. You can find us there, the new school at Commonweal. I always want to take time to thank Ken Adams, who makes this all run from behind the scenes, especially today, since he's making it all work remotely from Texas. So I'm going to go ahead and turn this over to Catherine Cummings, the Center for Humans and Nature's Digital Press Managing Editor.
2: Thank you, Kara. And I'm so glad to be here with all of you today. Um, Just to begin, um, I wanna share that I'm joining you from the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary homelands of the people of the Council of the Three Fires, the Ojibwe, Potawatomi, and Ottawa, as well as the Menominee, Miami, and Ho-Chunk nations, for whom this land, which is now called the City of Chicago, um, is a place of exchange, gathering, and healing um, as Kira mentioned, I'm an editor with the Center for Humans and Nature, which is a nonprofit based in Libertyville, Illinois, um, not far from Chicago. We foster an exchange of ideas through publications and through land practices that contribute to resilience and regeneration. And we're so grateful to be partnering with Kira and with the New School at Commonweal to share this series of conversations, um, which grew out of our Questions for Resilient Future series, um, which is uh, part of our digital press. And the Questions series nurtures a public practice of, of questions. Um, it's a space for refining our responses to the challenges of our time with humility, curiosity, and in community. If you visit humansandnature.org, you can explore the questions, including what stories does the land hold, which is the question, bringing us together today, um, and a question that was created by our host and the center's editorial fellow, Christine Lukasavich. Um, so I'd like to introduce Christine. Um, she's Algonquin and mixed settler ancestry and lives in unceded Algonquin territory next to what is now known, also known as Algonquin Provincial Park in Ontario, Canada. And Christine is the owner and executive consultant of Wasaya Consulting and Wasea Cultural Tours, two small businesses dedicated to reviving and celebrating indigenous ancestral knowledge and culture-based practices through educational opportunities. She is the co-owner of Algonquin Motors, which is a woman-led motorcycle clothing company honoring the spirit of unceded Algonquin territory. And she's currently writing her thesis to complete her master's in indigenous studies at Trent University. And until recently, Christine also served as executive director of Native Land Digital, which is the organization behind Native Land, -land native-land.ca, the website. Um, And that's an Indigenous-led non-for-profit dedicated to providing a digital platform for Indigenous peoples to share knowledge about their cultures, their territories, and knowledge systems across the world. Um, And in all of her work, Christine focuses on creating space for indigenous peoples to share their knowledges, both in physical and digital spaces and encouraging the re-emergence of ancestral kinship ties. In 2021, um, as I mentioned, Christine was an editorial fellow with the Center for Humans and Nature. And during that time, she published the digital series, What Stories Does the Land Hold?, from which this uh, conversation series launched. Um, And so I am, also pleased to share that Christine continues to serve um, in shaping the Center's publication work, uh, now on our editorial advisory board. Um, so she's working closely with us on continuing our storytelling and publishing work. Um, so with that, thank you so much, Christine. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing a conversation you and Tanya share with us today.
3: Thank you so much, Kate. Um, Before I even start, one thing I'm going to mention as well is that um, my work at Native Land led to my knowing Tanya. And Tanya is now in the role of executive director at Native Land. So very happy to uh, have passed that torch over to her. But backing up a tiny little bit, Going to introduce myself first. So Kweani bojo, Christine. Madawaska and Donjiba, Aji Jack and My name is Christine. I belong to the Crane Clan. I am Madawaska Algonquin. Um, I am spending time with you today from my ancestral territory um, on the banks of the Madawaska River, um, a place that my family has called home for at least the past twelve thousand years. So we've been here a little while um, and uh, my mixed settler family um, are those who have, you know, been amongst some of the earliest settlers to the Ottawa Valley area, um, often trying to find a safe place to live following, you know, cultural persecution and so on. Um, So being in this place that I am is... um, you know, I think it's a place where I'm most grounded. And as I was listening to both Kira and Kate chat about, you know, kind of our art intros and about the work that we do, I'm um, looking out the window at all of these these chickadees and squirrels fighting over a bird feeder. So definitely those um those relatives are there kind of keeping watch as well too, um, over the work that we're doing today. So, you know, to to introduce this series, this this sort of question that continues to live, this question of what stories does the land hold? Um, This this series right now is, um, as as folks have mentioned already, this series stems from that question, what stories does a land hold? And the answers that eight indigenous authors from around the world, Tanya included, um, were willing to, to contribute for this online publication. Um, intentionally, Indigenous authors from around the world were invited in to answer this question because I wanted to give space to, to celebrate Indigenous brilliance and really hold up the ways that we as Indigenous peoples know the places that we're from or the places that we now call home. Um, so today I am so happy to spend time with Tanya chatting because it feels like we've not been able to do this forever. Um... Tanya Roke is Maori artist, um, an old colleague, and someone I'm lucky to call a friend, and hopefully someone I'll get to meet in person perhaps later this year. Um, This is the um, second event in the series of three. The next one being with Walchisic Rice on March 29th. Um, And just a thank you to everyone who has uh, joined the previous conversation, those of you who are here today, um, as well as everyone who helped to bring this series to life. So, the question, what stories does a land hold, is one that I had playing around in my mind for quite a while. Um, and it's often the inspiration behind kind of what wanders through my mind when I'm out on the land and when I'm spending time, you know, walking walking below the trees, those big trees right now, especially maple trees that are getting ready to, um, you know, it's, it's almost maple syrup season time here. And just stepping outside um, about an hour ago before joining. Joining you today, you know the snow is different. The snow here has changed, and it's starting to get into that really late winter season. So we know that summertime or that springtime is coming soon. So this this question of what stories does the land hold, you know, it's something that that I I kind of question myself. You know, what what do what are those connections that I feel or that that people might feel when they spend time on the shores of a lake or when they, you know look into the hills or spend time with the trees? Um, Do you wonder who else has been here, what the stories that other beings hold, particularly those more than human being relations who also share these places with us? Um, How can we hear those stories? What do we need to do to be able to listen? And so um, with that, I want to say, so I met Tanya a few years ago through through Native Land when we were advertising for, um, for a job and just in meeting Tanya and spending some time chatting with her. Um, we knew that at some point in time as an organization, there would be an even better fit for Tanya. And I, I spent, you know, well over a year um, with Tanya working as the person who would reach out directly to Indigenous nations to make sure that they I don't know, to make sure that they were able to feel part of this large project that is native land to make sure that, you know, they are represented on this digital platform on their own terms. And I really saw, you know, the grace and the beauty and just the care that Tanya put into every single conversation that she had. So it was pretty much one of those things where when I first met Tanya, I knew right away that I wasn't going to let her go, that I wanted her to be part of my life. (laughs) And so Um, Over time, you know, also coming to that understanding that Tanya is also a really brilliant, brilliant artist who's doing so many incredible community-based, nation-based, even global-based projects around artwork and so on. And just looking to really um, revitalize ancestral knowledge as well as ancestral place through her practice. And so with that... um, I am going to read a quick bio for Tanya but I also want to make sure Tanya that you, you know, feel free to chime in at any point in time. Um, I'm just so happy to share this space with you. So Tanya is a Maori artist and designer living in Aotearoa, which is now Wellington, um, capital city of of New Zealand. she is active in environmental issues from an indigenous perspective in Aotearoa and globally. She is working with the um, Executive Grandmothers Council, and she's been documenting and mapping the sacred stories of her ancestors. Um, as evidence for tribal environmental issues involving land and water protection claims, um, through her I, Tanya, I, I'm, I can't, I can't pronounce it. I wish I could, but through local treaties um, that her nation is part of. As a Maori artist, she is inspired by her ancestry and the creation stories that place the land as ancestor and the master navigator voyagers of the Pacific who always kept their eyes on the horizon in hopeful anticipation, bringing safely to land. Um, and with that, you know, Tanya, I will invite you to um, if you want to introduce yourself a little bit more and say hello to folks, because I've been chatting for a long time. So tossing <laughs> it over to you. <laughs>
4: Oh, kia Kyoto Koto, thank you so much, Christine. It's so great to be here and be part of this conversation that's um so important. Um, as Christine was saying, I saw her um in conversation, actually, in in a talk somewhat like this, and uh, everything that she was saying, I just connected with. And I just thought it was so important, the work that she was doing with Native land digital. And um actually, being able to see those indigenous nations, you know, it's a global map, but being able to see them visibly is um something that's so important. And um so yes, I clicked, I followed after the after the talk, I went straight to Native Land, clicked on, and then I saw that they were looking for people. So I clicked that and I thought, yes, I want to be a part of that. <laughs> So it's really great to be a part of this conversation with you today. And I don't know, from the moment I saw you, it's like seeing a relative um, across the other side of the world. And I think that's how many of us feel, especially those of us who are working in this sort of space, um, revitalizing our language and um, revitalizing our knowledge. um you know, it's it's a juggling system that we're having to do because we're having to learn academia, learn the Western knowledge and learn our own knowledge and then figure out how we live with that and, and moving forward. Um, so I found Native Land Digital is as a, as a great way to start that journey and just so wonderful to connect in with other nations across the globe.
3: It's like one of the most wonderful networking tools out there, and it's a good way for us to get to know each other. You know, it, it's really something incredible to to know that we are able to hold space for each other across literal time and space on these digital platforms. Mm. Um, and and really, as you had said, Tanya, like get get to know our relatives more. Um, so with with that, I really want to use this conversation, this time to to highlight some of your your work that you do, um, allow folks a bit of an an inside view into your world and really the beauty, the beauty that you create through your artworks and your your community based processes, um, you know, and I there we will share the, a link um, for a, a YouTube video uh, recording of Tanya presenting her art and you know though Tanya and I have talked a number of times about the work that she does but kind of seeing her really in her um, in her element and presenting to folks and talking about you know different artworks and why they mean so much to her I was completely blown away so I wanted to make sure we've got lots of time uh, to chat about your work so kind of, you know, leaving this very open-ended, you know. So, Jenny, starting from the beginning, um, where where did your art journey start? <laughs>
4: um, it's kind of, it's interesting. And and it also leads to why I wrote the article I did, but we'll come back to that. Um, it's a long journey. Um, I didn't start life as an artist. I sort of went on this um, long journey of um Connecting back into my, my mother's roots, uh, the Māori side of me. Um, it was something that started as a child, um hearing and and seeing and dreaming things that I knew weren't actually within the physical realm. And um as a child, you sort of you experience these things and, you know, like fairy tales. And um, I I spent a lot of my childhood in Europe because uh, my mum travelled. She wanted to get away from our community uh, as soon as she could. She was 16 uh, because she comes from the far north of Aotearoa. Uh, within our iwi, there is, you know, the same thing that is um, a problem for a lot of our indigenous nations who are on the territory and lands of um, our ancestors. And that's with the drugs and the alcohol issues and the poverty issues and um, all the different forms of abuse that are experienced by women um, within our cultural nations. Um, So my mum Uh, as soon as she could, she wanted to get away and she left. Um, She became a nurse. She trained to be a nurse um, in the South Island. And then with her cousin and their friend, they um, took off on this great adventure across from Australia, nursing across Asia, and then finally to Europe. And I was born in amongst that sort of journey across the world. So I got to, in a roundabout way, I got to experience what our ancestors did, you know, traveling across the Pacific and experiencing other nations. Because uh, according to histories, um, the histories are only just starting to find an interest in our ancestral knowledge. Um, but our stories go way back and our stories connect us to other nations along the Pacific. Um, We connected to Asian cultures, to other island cultures, to Turtle Island cultures, and um, it's been quite the adventure for my family um, connecting in with those cultures and having those stories told to us about their ancestors connecting with our ancestors. Um, And this is outside of is known in the histories, Western histories. Um, So it has been a brilliant experience for me sort of learning this as I've been growing and shifting across the globe. So for me connecting with native land digital seemed like, you know, um, the logical thing to do because I was used to um, connecting outside of the norm. Um, So uh, that journey of the art came into play a little bit later in my life after I had children. Um, I experienced dreams and um, kind of knowings that um, I knew were different. So I, I I learned from our grandmothers or had to learn from them how to cope with these things because, you know, within Western um, systems, that's not great. We don't listen to our widua. We don't listen to our spirit. We don't listen to the land. We don't listen to our ancestors or it wasn't taught at that time. It's sort of starting to come back now. And that's what I feel so important is for our next generations to be able to understand that, no, this is, this is normal. You know, you listen to your dreams. That's where your ancestors can speak to you. That's where you connect to the land. That's where you feel like you belong. And, and that was the hurt for us is that um, with religion and with being colonized, our, our knowing and our connective way of being was just um erased um and so there you find the problems in our contemporary world with the drugs and the and the alcohol issues that are happening um because our our youth are hearing they're dreaming they're um experiencing these things and they don't know what to do with it because our teachers are gone um so That's why it's so important for me to talk about the wairua of things. And that's how I came to this article was just um, having a dream. I had visited a redwood forest that we have here in New Zealand. Um, And it's got the, I know you'll know, Christine, and any of you who've been in the redwood forests, um, it's something to experience. It was like, um, our New Zealand native forest is sort of surrounding it and somebody at some point in time has has tried to see if redwoods would grow here in Aotearoa um, and it's just like walking into a cathedral, you know, the magnificence of these trees, the smell, um, the silence within the trees, um, that really spoke to me and... Um, so I was lucky enough to experience that it's in the middle of New Zealand. I went there to experience it on purpose, um, for that connective connection to the land and, and to start to, try to figure out where these dreams are leading me. Um, And then it was about two weeks after that, that I had this dream that I was standing back in that forest and I was standing on a sort of, I could, I remember feeling the springy springy earth under my feet when I was walking through those redwoods. And as I was standing on this mound um, and um, a brother, it felt like a brother from an indigenous nation came um, and spoke to me and said, Can I speak through you? And I and I said, Of course you can. Um, and so I'm standing looking at the redwood forests, and I all of a sudden feel my mouth moving in a strange way, and I can hear a sound um, sort of like when when you speak, it's a different sound um, coming from my mouth, and it's a song. And then I look down in my hand and there's this big drum in my hand and it's got sort of rainbow ribbons around the outside and and it's moving in time to the song and the drum. And then I see through the clearing a stag and the stag sort of looks up and all of a sudden I feel that I am the stag as the song is playing and the drum beats going. And the stag is running and the sound of those hoofs on the, on the soil is the drum beat as well. And as all three of us are existing within this plane running through the forest, um, you can feel the heartbeat of the stag as that drum beat. And I could also feel the forest and that connection that the forest had with the stag. And then all of a sudden I could feel this huge feeling of love. It was like an experience that I've never experienced before, but it was love. And it was this love that the forest has for feeling the stag running across the earth and the love that the trees have for um, seeing the stag running through them. And I sort of woke up and I had a bit of prickling sensation. I, I was just I was lost in that dream for about three days. I could feel that sensation and I just really didn't want to let it go. Um, and it was after that that I sort of strangely realized that um, this connection or this idea of love is very different from the love that we're taught, you know, within Western cultures. You know, it's romantic love. It's um, But this experience of love was just something that I wanted to try and share um, and ironically um, it was the idea was given to me that it would be through um, digital means because that's the way to connect with other people and share the stories um, so that's where that idea of the the digital realm and the wairua tanga and the spirit and how we can connect um, using electrical means and technology yeah Long story.
3: No, and, and I'm just like in, in knowing and having like this little bit of an insight into, you know, seeing your your artwork and what it looks like. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, if, if you're willing to, Tanya, I'd love for you to say, share some of that. If you, because I know that you do have a bit of a presentation that is prepared. So I'd love to um, to open it up for folks to see some of your work and maybe if you'll walk us through some of your pieces as well. Can do. I'll just try to activate the screen share. I
4: can do it.
5: I not
4: So that, I'll just talk a little bit about it. Um, that was actually my mum. Um, she's one of our grandmother's council and we work together on very many things. Um, we work with our contemporary claims. Um, so uh, with our connection to the land we attempt to, through the Waitangi Tribunal, um, bring environmental issues to light. Um, so I'm the claims administrator, and... Um, in return, Mum helps me with my artwork. Um, this river, this little river, is the source for a very big river that was um the provider for our one of our Iwi. Um and prior to um colonization, the river was huge and abundant. Um our PA our village was beside it and It was sort of because it was at the bottom of the North Island. It was a a place where many tribes came in and left on their way to the South Island because we were nomadic and travelled with the seasons. Um, But this river is a very special river. It is now, it was um, concreted over um, sort of at the very beginnings of the uh, the 1900s, I think, and so now runs below the the city of Wellington, which is the capital city, Te nui Atara.
0: You're listening to a TNS Conversation with Tanya Roca and host Christine Lukasavich.
4: Um, So there's a huge sadness with this river. Um, this here is in the source in a reserve where there's been a group of, uh, young people who have been rejuvenating the land up there. And, um, so here at the source, it's very clean. Um, but then just down from here, it'll run, it runs into pipes and it goes underground and then comes out at the other end of the harbor, the harbor that is very polluted. Um, but the song that my mom is singing here, she doesn't know this song. And I have never heard the song either. Um, and Waimapihi was actually one of our ancestors who was well known for bringing people together in this place um, and um, building communities. So as an ancestor, she's a, a powerful reminder for us Um to um the importance of of people and community and and sharing and um knowledge sharing and um yeah so the the song is quite a special thing and i'm so happy that it's there and she shared that with us um Yeah, but that is the the main connector. My mum is uh, speaking Māori and she's speaking a karakia, which is, I guess you would translate as prayer, but it is an acknowledgement to the Atua or the original gods, um, as known by our tribe, um, because as we know from... uh, Connecting with native land digital, there are so many indigenous tribes. Um, We all have different beliefs and understandings of how the world began. and every single understanding is different. And that's what makes it so special and why we need to see this knowledge um, just for our younger youth so they can understand it and connect to it. Um, she's spoken here with the God of the water. She spoke to um, Papatuanuku, the Earth Mother, when she picked up some of the Earth um, and and is just wishing wellness for the water as it travels through and out to the ocean to Tangaroa the god of the the sea and I don't know about you but I want to see that kind of conversation
3: in in life you know (laughs) I think I think that you know in in chatting a lot with um with indigenous folks from around the world and like across turtle island and and further you know we that's something that we are working to do is sort of reconnect and and re those relationships um that really we've been a part of since time immemorial but but have been interrupted and so now being able to to sort of bring those relationships back into being, you know, the way that we govern ourselves in our day-to-day lives. And, um, you know, for me, it's often a starting place of I need to give myself a minute. I need to give myself 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it might be to make an effort to to spend time with those relations, um, to learn about them to learn the medicines that that they give us, whether that be you know medicines that help us physically, medicines that help us spiritually, emotionally and so on and so knowing that you know your your art practice is so deeply rooted in in your home in your ancestral territory and also through um, through teachings, of your ancestors that that carry on through. Um, wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, you know those relations, even those those relations from the natural world. Um, how do they inspire your work, or like who who contributes to your work, and in what ways do you um, work with plants to bring you know bring these artistic pieces into the world?
4: Mm, I think. Well, that's where I was so lucky um, to um, start working with art um, because it opened up my mind to these things um, because before I had sort of shut them down. And I know a lot of us, especially the old, our older ones, have shut them down because you know, you don't do that. People will think you're 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 mad. Um, so the art world actually allowed me to have the freedom to um experience and and learn about about the side of of myself and my culture and the uniqueness to it um it it sort of gave me the tools to experience that world um which i was so grateful for so i also have um, we connect through genealogy, we call it Whakapapa, um, and can go right back to those original gods. Um, well, some of our elders can, um, not me quite yet, but I'm learning. Um, it's a lot of tracing back. Uh, so um, I can also experience from the art world a genealogy of artists who have experienced the same sort of making and the same sort of connections to the natural world. Um, And so with my art practice, I was able to unfold these connections and, um, I started with my great grandmother's rungoa recipes and rungoa is the plant medicine. Um, so I have these sheets of paper that she had typed out with various different illnesses, a lot of them from back in her time. You know, we wouldn't need to worry about that these days um, and especially with the illnesses that we have today. But my thinking was that if I can connect through each plant, then I can grow that relationship to our plant relatives. So I've been going plant by plant um, because you can't just expect to know everything all at once. Um, Well, our indigenous knowledge is about connection and it's about giving yourself and giving time. Um, So I know that I don't have enough time left in my lifeline to learn everything I need to know but it's something that I'm really proud and happy to be on this journey. Um, For us plants are the elder in the relationship so they are the Tuakana and they should be respected in that way Um, and so when you uh, experience plants you come to them as a I don't know a treasured treasured grandparent and um and I always see myself as grandchild and so asking learning to ask permission from that plant before taking or shifting or moving the plant. Um and I've been able to I one of my concept designs was for a community rungwa forest um, here where I live in Wellington and it was just a small space uh, where there are some native plants that I know are very medicinal from my great grandmother um, her teachings Um, and so I was able to share that knowledge with the community and and look at how can we share this um, with technology um, so we have some metal QR codes that I've put with each plant. And so people can just, everyone knows QR codes these days because of COVID, um, aim the phone. And I've put some, you know, sort of very basic information about the plant there, its medicinal qualities. Um, we've been making some rungoa tea, so medicinal teas from those plants. Um, I, I don't think the plants are, they're, they're, Aotearoa-based plants, so um, sharing with you probably won't help. But there are plants everywhere all over the world that are medicinal. So um, for me, it was about the research into um, keeping the plants in the ground. Our biodiversity is special in each little area. Um, And here in Aotearoa, um, a lot of um, our native plants and trees are being uh, taken out of the ground through developing the land um and so finding ways to show people that we need to keep our biodiversity in the ground and we need to plant more but we can't replicate those hundreds and thousands of year old um forest growth um that is actually helping us um in the unseen worlds you know the smell the chemical smell of plants like the redwoods um it was so cleansing and um, if we have we don't have those trees, we we lose that free medicine. Um, just being able to see the fractals and the the pattern work and the energy of the plants that's healing, um, and it's all free. Um, we can't access our wild foods anymore because it's so polluted in our rivers here in Aotearoa. Uh, The pollution is in the sea, it's everywhere. Um, You may have seen on the news, we've had huge devastation from um, the cyclone that blew through here. Um, It's wiped out most of the middle part of our North Island. There's communities cut off and so many people still lost um, because of climate change. Um, So, you know, to me, it's logical that um, if we need free food, we need free medicine, Let's keep that biodiversity in the ground. Let's connect to it. Let's learn how to be its relative and, and, um, you know, grow those connections for all cultures, not just for um, our own indigenous youth.
3: And so, knowing I'm kind of keeping an eye on the on the clock at the same time, and wanting to kind of shift focus a tiny bit. Um, actually, what I will ask first, um, Tanya, do you want to share anything further about any of your artwork at all?
4: Um, I think I've got another karakia from mum that was one of our art projects that I can show when we finish talking. Uh, It was connecting to one of the uh, viruses that's um, taking over some of our native plants, which are medicinal. Um, So I I can play that one a bit later when we come to the end of our conversation, if you like.
3: Sure, that'd be perfect. And I will um, mention to folks, I've got two things to mention. One is that um, I know um, both Erin and Kira have been leaving a number of links in the chat. Um, I do encourage you to use those links to tap into a little bit more of Tanya's work and to see, um, I don't know, just to see the brilliance that, that she brings to the world and really the way that this is so community-based, um, not just person-to-person community-based, but community-based in the sense that land and plants are engaged. They are understood as, as relations. As Tanya had mentioned, they are, they are ancestors, they are elders who are there to, I don't know, to, I guess, in, in the most broad sense, to to keep us safe, to to serve as a place that's kind of like, you know, um for me is that when when I'm in here in Algonquin unceded territory. You know, I know the the types of the plants and the, the trees that grow here and so on. So when I am home, I know I'm home because I'm surrounded by relations. And so knowing that, you know, for Tanya, she has that same connection to those more than human beings in her space. So that is one thing. Please check out um, all of the links that we're sharing with you, including a YouTube video of Tanya giving a, uh, a brilliant lecture. Um, I will also mention that at some point during this session, Kira will be sharing a poll with two questions um, that encourage the audience to sort of engage and think a little bit um, a little bit more a little bit deeper about how we can engage with land and understand land um, you know as more than just the place where we are it is the place that we are but it is relation to so those are the two things I had to mention so now going to kind of toss it over, we're going to talk um, a little bit about Tanya's piece um, to to answer that what stories does the land hold question. Um, her piece is titled Origin Stories, uh, The Perpetual Creation Story and the Emergence of the Fourth Realm, um, Digital Storytelling. And so Tanya, you know, just really opening it up. um, How did you come to write this piece? What inspired you? And what's the, if you were to pick a couple of takeaways for for your audience reading that piece, what would you encourage folks to take away from that? Mm.
4: I think uh, for me, it was a a little bit strange. Um, This turning point with the technology, I'd been using the um, digital tools to create artworks for a while because it was easy access for me um art materials were very expensive so um being able to just use a phone or or something that someone had at at unit art school was a lot easier and I knew I wanted to create immersive sort of experiences um so that people could be in the world, um, rather than sort of standing outside looking at it. So the world of light came to mind with the digital realm. Um, and so as I went along, you know, you're sort of, you're juggling this idea of technology and, and all the bad things that it does to the world. And then this idea that it also helps you to document and to, um, collate stories, um, to find the traditional stories and have a means to record it, to show to next generations. Um, because for a lot of us, um, many of our generations are not on territorial land anymore. You know, they've, they've done what my mom did and they've gone, they've left that space. Um, so being able to bring those stories of home to them, um, the tech, Technology in the digital realm sort of really helps to do that. Um, you can experience the world, that world, or that territory um, with Native Land Digital. Um, just being able to click on the different IWI um, websites, and then you go to their websites, and you can see pictures of the land. I did that the other day because I'm in Wellington at the bottom of the North Island, and our territory is at the top of the North Island. And I got quite homesick just looking at grass <laughs> that was on there. Um, so um, it was kind of an interesting journey with the te- technology. And um, I just wanted to share this idea of of, of storytelling and as a means to um, revitalize our language. Um, through gameplay. I, a lot of our youth love gameplay, love technology, um, and it's a great way to connect to that to or the spirit. Um, the first thing our elders will tell you is that when someone passes away, all the technology and the electricals in the house will start to play games and things will fire up and lights will switch on and off. And it's is this idea of bringing that um, ancestral knowledge and Uh, to our lives today to project forward into the future. Um, So I wanted to share the stories that um, there were um, very well-known chiefs who were able to hear wairua and listen to the spirit of things and um, heal people um, with the rungoa. Um, male and female. A lot of our female chiefs uh, have been forgotten from the histories or turned into males um, for um, religious purposes. Um, a re- Catholic religion was um, quite strong in the far north and um, many of our uh, ways of being with the natural world were cut off um the people were not allowed to uh, connect with the wider or the spirit of the land anymore um they had to um connect with the catholic god um and this sort of thing is so harmful because it takes away our connection it disconnects us. We know we don't have a feeling of belonging anymore. Especially when um, you're looking at um, different understandings of ways of being, um, and it's it's really powerful to be able to connect to the land without having to worry about who you are as a person, what you have, um, and so that was why. A long story. Why it became so important? Um, um, It's a way of sharing. Schools have technology these days. You know, people can access it.
3: And something like just you know, as you were talking of, there are sometimes stereotypes about Indigenous peoples being stuck in the past. And oftentimes, when um, you know, even major news. Platforms, You know, when they're talking about indigenous peoples, we see always in the past tense and so on. And so looking at that use of tech and how that brings indigenous peoples into, you know, we, we've always been here, we're always going to be here. Um, but really bringing us into those contemporary spaces, um, demonstrating that we have these brilliant ways of adapting and using technology, technology, whatever it might be. You know, I'm thinking for for here, you know, we've got canoes and snowshoes and so on. These these technologies that really have remained unchanged through time to be able to navigate through the lands and the waters that we know. And I know, you know, Tanya, for you, you know, your nation, you've also got technologies that are so specific to to place. So this use of technology is always something that indigenous peoples um, have been practicing, but looking at now we have this this other realm, this digital realm, where we're able to leverage um, technology as a tool to inspire reconnection or encourage that greater sense of belonging, um knowing that we've got generations of of indigenous peoples who are very much in need of in need of healing and and really looking to those future generations as well, too, and wanting them to know that they, you know, wanting them to know who they are, wanting them to know that they are able to, to reconnect. Um, so looking at that digital realm as sort of that starting space for belonging, which is pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. And two, you know, that's that's not even mentioning the fact that we can cross these large geographical spaces through technology. I mean, you're you're on the next day where you are, right? Like it's it's already Thursday there. <laughs> it's Thursday
4: morning here. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Right and early. Don't worry, Tanya. I'm still drinking my coffee as I normally would, even though it's almost three o'clock here. (laughs) All right. So, um, you know, just to give a little bit of a shout out to how you and I know each other. Um, As I mentioned, we got to know each other through, through Native land. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about your work there? Um, your work prioritizing indigenous knowledges, um, indigenous representations on our own terms. Um, and then also too, you know, who and or what inspires your work with Native land? I know we've kind of touched on that a bit, but if there's anything else you'd like to mention. Mm. Um,
4: so for Native land, uh, we've because <laughs> we lost you. <laughs> <laughs> and we're devastated. <laughs> We've um had a bit of time to sort of quietly think about the direction as um indigenous peoples from across the globe. And um what do we do? We've been gifted this beautiful uh, technology. Um so much work went into it from Victor. Um you know, just years of working by themselves, <laughs> trying to um, accommodate the indigenous voices and and understand and and um, huge knowledge. Um, it's a huge gift because it is knowledge from indigenous people all over the world. And so that in itself was a huge responsibility. Uh, that we acknowledge. And we were trying to think of, well, how do we boost the Indigenous voices? Because um, what I learned from the research and being connecting to Nations, is that um it's our voices that are so important, and and I know you started this project with the Greetings Project, um, trying to get more Indigenous voices onto the map itself, so as people can hear themselves, and um, we want that direction to be very Indigenous. Um, so it's it's about planning and figuring out how do we do this in an Indigenous way, um, what's our Indigenous methodology to this. Um, that's the part where we're at now. And that's the exciting part, because if you look at most of the academic institutions now, there's um, Indigenous academics are for think, trying to think, you know, what do we do now? Um, how do we shift forward with our knowledge? Um, and it's really an exciting time to be in. Um, it's a time of great pain, um, coming to understand that pain and, um, but still being able to move forward and and look at the possibilities. And I think that's why um, art and design and things like that are so important because it helps us to imagine and it helps to free us, free our thoughts um, so we can move forward. Um, and so we're we're thinking of how we can get some more art on onto the map and really indigenize it. Because like you were saying, you know, a lot of us, some of the words from other nations are very difficult to pronounce. How do we pronounce that? Having that nation pronouncing it is, you know, a way to learn.
3: And still a question I get asked, um, you know, even outside of a out of a native land context, you know, friends who are um, respectfully traveling and working to, um, you know, on, on other nations' territories and even wondering, you know, Yesterday, I had a question from a friend who is um, originally from Mi'kmaq, so uh, Nova Scotia, who's in Toronto, and wondering how to like, properly pronounce to Toronto or Anishinaabek and so on. So having those pronunciations um, really serves as a starting point as well for, say, um, possible reconciliation, um, if it is possible, between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. Hmm. Um, And so one thing that I, you know, want to pull on and again, looking, looking, because anytime I get, I'll give folks who are joining in on this conversation, generally, anytime that Tanya and I talk, there's usually never enough time to chat about a lot of things. And I know this is like slightly scripted, a little bit more formal, but, you know, we're just kind of rolling um, with how things go here. And um, Tanya, I could chat with you for probably another hour easily. Um, but, you know, looking at that prioritization of indigenous knowledge and understandings and knowing that that encompasses our entire world, it includes that that dream world as well, too. It, it places value on elements of our existence that aren't necessarily as widely celebrated or even acknowledged in, you know, through that, that Western lens. And so through your work, through, through the artwork that you do, through the writing that you do, um, through your work with native land and really just the person that you are, you know, prioritizing indigenous knowledges and understandings, um, even through like governance, you know, governance of projects or, you know, planning, planning out of projects and, and what are the ways that, you know, you're able to bring this knowledge back to communities, but then also, you know, encouraging those next uh, generations as well to be able to hold that knowledge. Um, one thing that I, I did want to ask you is, you know, I know that you have very close relationships with your family, um, particularly the, the women in your family. So a really quick question in there, um, in what ways do the women in your life inspire your work? Oh, they inspire me so much um my
4: mum is um just her strength um Tor is something that um our ancestors knew about um isn't spoken about so much oh well it is being brought back now but um they're they are strong women or that emphasis on on the feminine as being a, a strength um so whether it's my mum or my daughters they inspire me so much just watching their strength and i think that's where we are as as women um supporting our our other women um as we move forward into the future is so important because we're all needed you know um women men children uh, this is this is how our iwi used to be uh, prior to being colonized um and if you go back to some of the very early gentlemen who first came off the boat the the horrified um notation of their written word as they um um, sort of acknowledge the fact that uh, the men, women, and children sat in a circle to discuss tribal matters and everyone's voice was heard. And um to me that's that's what's so important about bringing back the strength of the feminine and um within our everyday lives because we're all needed with the climate and the environment the way that it is. Um, all of our knowledge is just important.
3: Absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing that, Tanya. And I, there is, there are a few questions um, that are coming in that I will address in one moment. Because I have one more um, question for you, and this one's very much like I'm. I'm most excited to answer this question because I know that you've got some really wonderful things happening in your life, and I wanted to take a moment to to sort of celebrate where you're at the things that you've been accomplishing over the last couple of years. Cause really um, if I could, I would give you a great big hug and celebrate and, you know, have tea with you over this, but here we are in a digital space. So um, what's next for you? Um, what are you working on for the next year? And kind of what are you looking forward to the most in some of these, um, these new projects that you're working on? Mm. Um, so for
4: <laughs> it is very exciting. Um, I have a role as a lecturer of Māori for our School of Design and Innovation uh, here in Te Whanganui um, So that is a very exciting space to be in at the moment. Um, it's one that the school acknowledges there should be more of which is great. Um, that acknowledgement is starting to happen within the institutions that there are missing voices uh, that need to be heard. So um, I'm running my first pa- design paper and I get to speak with um, youth about designing new ways forward for the future that are inclusive of everyone. Um, so for me, that's so exciting, just being able to speak to uh, young people who are so passionate Um, from all cultures, and and finding where we connect and our differences, which is also so important. Um, That's hugely exciting. And with Native Land Digital, we're hoping that we can start to invest in our youth as well so they can tell their stories of their own communities and we can share those stories and connect them with other Indigenous film festivals and share all the stories. Um, So it's an exciting time to be in
3: absolutely um and I'm so glad that you're in that role and I know I don't know just so Tanya and I talking back and forth about the possibility of her getting this role and then her landing this role and just um a very huge congratulations to you Tanya for for stepping into that role as as lecturer as a Maori lecturer um very proud of you my friend
4: oh thank you thank you so much
0: You're listening to a TNS Conversation with Tanya Roca and host Christine Lukasavich.
3: So knowing that we are at the top of the hour, I do want to um, give Tanya that space um, to share that second video. Um, And from from there, um, we will sort of move into that question and answer space. So Tanya, if you'd like to share your screen and load that up ai demais atua
6: colocou a Vera papo tudo no gurame novo que a tata mais atama regiã atua colocou Ko teira e dané ai mai ai mai Oh e te manuhiri. E Ko rās. Haere, 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 kia rapu atu te oranga mō koutou mā. I māma, tapati mai, papatua nuku. Kei reira, te oranga mō koutou mā. Haere mai, haere, o tēnei te kai kōrero. Haere mai haere, i haere te aroha otane tāne wāhauta. häire, mai haere, te aroha tanga na tangata kia koutou. Haere mai haere, Ae ana i te pūtunga, a kēnei ngā atua, kia noa te mūtunga, She was rich, Tanya, can you tell us
3: a little bit about the video? Uh, that was my mum again. Uh, that was
4: a karakia, a prayer to uh, myrtle rust, which is a virus that has taken over uh, some of our medicinal native plants. Um, some of the most important ones, the Pahutakawa, which is uh, known as our Christmas tree, which is red all throughout Christmas. Um, our manuka trees, you may know our honey, manuka honey, um, so medicinal Um yeah, so this this virus, or it's a fungi, um, attacks the new growth in the trees, and so they can't recover, and so eventually the tree dies. So we've lost um, our ramarama, which is another medicinal plant, um, and we're losing another another species as well. Um, because of the the fungi that's grown, because it's growing warmer in the environment, um, the climate's changing. Um, Our birds are a little bit um, in trouble as well because the berries are fruiting at different times, um, especially the migratory birds. Um, Everything's happening at a different time because of climate and environment. Uh, So within this karakia, my mum I came to my mum while she was standing in the forest itself. And you'll notice around her, in the the plants that I focus on, are our natural um, medicinal plants. it's, it's asking that Myrtle Russ would return to the earth, to Papatuanuku where it's warm and she can find a new home there and to and to please respectfully leave our, our plants and trees for us uh, so that we can learn to look after them. It's acknowledging the fungi and it's, it's apologising for the way that the world is at the moment um, and speaking to our original gods to help amplify that request and that prayer
3: and you know watching watching your mom speak and listening to your mom speak and just those those beautiful shots of of your territory of the land um what a beautiful demonstration of what it is to hold relationship with you know with those more than human beings that we're also sharing space with and you know really I don't know. Really, instead of focusing on the Western lens, where you know that might seem like, as you had said, you know, it might seem a little bit mad to do something like that. But instead, you know, this is um, stepping into those roles, those responsibilities that we have as relations to communicate directly um, and spend time, um, spend time with land, spend time with those plant beings, and and communicate, talk. Mm. Um, so with that. Um, we are kind of at the point in time where we will um, step into those, um, step into those questions and take a few moments. One of the questions that we have is, um, we'd love to hear a plant medicine story or ritual that is used specifically by women in Maori culture, if you're able to share anything. Um,
4: I think, there's a beautiful story about uh, the moon and one of our plants that um, is actually they use it for in ceremony for cleansing the air for keeping the bugs away. It's a very um, aromatic plant. Um, it's also quite poisonous, um, and it's it's interesting that the story itself is related to women and cycles and the moon um, because. It's the importance of, of women um, coming back to the moon cycles, I think, that is um without telling you the plant because it's only from here, but um it's that connection to the moon and the cycles and the oceans of life that we've sort of lost when we've become um within the colonized idea of time. Um this idea that we connect to the moon with our plantings, our seasons, and ourselves, and the tides, and and how do we come back to that? Because there were times that were acknowledged for our ancestors that were good for planting, because the moon was closer and the water was closer to the um to the earth, so the plants would be more watered. Um, and those times were when women became more sacred through their cycles and that connection. Um, so in our everyday contemporary lives, we become, you know, embroiled with the, the worrying of the time clock. But in actual fact, we should be paying more attention to the skies and 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 the moon cycles and when to be slow and when to be easy and then when to start moving again. Um, and that's a huge loss for us because now as women, we're all stressed. When um, in actual fact, you know, we should be moving a lot slower and, and taking time with the moons. Um, and I know that uh, many nations have that connection, women and the moon. Um, and so this plant specifically, you um, Uh, an ancestor apparently fell over its root and she was shouting in the middle of the night and the moon she was shouting at the moon for not um shining the light for her um and the moon pulled up the plant and her into the up there and now she's up there when you look up at night as as a reminder to just be not be rude to plants (laughs) and um to be a little bit more humble because that that's Comes up a lot, you know that humility. If you're looking at a plant as an ancestor, that is a elder with knowledge, you know you have to do that with humility, and yeah. So that plant acknowledges that.
3: And I'm, you know, thinking of my own relationship with um, with plants that are here on my territory. Um, anytime that I, I approach them to to work with them, you know, I certainly do approach with that knowledge of you know. I, like, I I can't imagine feeling that thought of authority, you know, over plants, but rather, you know, anytime that I am, say, harvesting or moving or, you know, perhaps removing if we're talking about my garden or replanting or so on, um, there is an expectation through Anishinaabeg practices that, you know, we, we do have those conversations, that we do interact directly with land. But, you know, certainly, yeah, I when, when approaching plants, it is that, you know, you, you know, so much more than me, you know, you, you hold so much knowledge and here I am, you know, sort of approaching with humility to, to interact with you, you know, so really looking at um, not only just like that taking sort of relationship, but then stepping into a longer term relationship where I'm explaining and, and approaching with respect and so on. Mm-hmm. um we do have a a second question um can you, can you share a plant that you got to know through your art practice i'd love to learn as I'm interested in the biodiversity in different regions and all the relationships between people and plants so if there is a particular plant that stands out to you um through your art practice and i will say um i keep i i so many times I keep thinking about the lanterns that um that that you had had worked to create but that's that's the first thing that comes to my mind. So is there a plant uh, that you got to know through your artistic practice?
4: Yes, there is. The, it's called harakeke in Maori and it's our New Zealand flax and I think you it, it went out across the world because it was such a useful plant. Mm-hmm. Um it was used by my ancestors to create mats. Um baskets for food, all sorts of things, ropes. Um, so I came to this plant through my great grandmother's wrongo recipes. And I, during research found that they at first thought that flax was the same as European flax. So I was wondering where we are in, in contemporary world with these ideas of can you create new materials? Um, are we creating new materials with our own native plants so as we're not importing? Because we're at the en- other end of the world. It doesn't make sense to be importing things from so far away, especially with the cost of um the increase of transport. Um, and unfortunately in New Zealand, we no longer make things. We bring everything in because it's just cheaper that way. Um, so my that inspired my research into circular economies and um, how do we bring our iwi back to the land um, and understand the value in these plants? So the harakeke, um, I found... They have been trying to, for a number of years, 23 years, some of our ancestral weavers, um, one of the descendants, she's been working to create a machine that can strip the flax like how it was stripped by our ancestors, um, but without causing harm to the earth. So I became involved with that research and, um, I'm happy to say we have put the fiber onto the loom and I've woven it. It's top secret, but you're getting to share that knowledge. Um, so, hopefully, we will be able to create this um, green industry uh, where Ewe can have sort of a small um, machinery to create uh, linens and textiles and uh, materials that can go into biocomposites. So, as um, the materials that we're using aren't so toxic and have a use outside of, you know, within that whole cycle. So, yeah, you can see some of that research on my website.
3: All right, folks, so definitely check out Tanya's website to see what she's up to. Um, We do have sort of one last question before we start to wrap up. Um, What plants do you consider to be your most precious medicine?
4: all the plants (laughs) all
3: the plants I had
4: I just this journey with my great-grandmother has been um just life transforming you know beforehand I felt like I was floundering I um had no reason to be um, and it's le- it led me to find art. It led me to find meaning. It led me back to my culture, to um, connecting. Um, I can't recommend enough just spending time sitting with plants. Uh, they don't judge you. Um, and once you start to spend that time and you listen and you wait and there will be just magical little moments that appear before you and the gifts that are given but it's it's all up to us to to spend that time to wait and to hear what's being said to us because um it's just so fulfilling and it's it's priceless that connection to plants and and being able to connect to the earth and and, and then it'll open up your mind to the seasons and, and the elementals and, um, you know, even in amongst all these storms and great um, catastrophes, you, you'll be able to start to see um, and connect to that and understand that. I mean, I can look into the sky now and see the colours and know that a lot of rain is coming. Um, and it's just from sitting and, and
3: spending time. And then I immediately go to, you know, my my husband, I'll say, you know, what's the weather going to be like? And he looks on his phone and he goes, well, you know, it's not going to rain. You know, just look up. It's going to rain. And sure enough, you know, within a couple of minutes, it's probably going to rain. Um, and, you know, as you were talking, I'm, I'm kind of imagining, you know, some of the moments, like those little magical moments that I've experienced. And one most recently was... Um, you know, walking the dog every day, kind of on the path by by our house. And um I know there's chickadees there, these little, you know, winter birds that we see. And it's one thing to to see them and recognize that they are, you know, they're they're those usual visitors to the place that I call home, but there's there's a whole other thing that can, can happen when you take a minute to watch them, when you are quiet when you are able to observe even the ways that they kind of make their way through the trees and how they kind of you know pick up all the little feeds but unless you take a moment to actually pay attention and start to form those relationships um you might not notice the way that they work in patterns or the ways that they talk to each other as well too so there's great gifts that are just waiting for us so long as we're open to listening to them which kind of brings us around full circle to that to the question of what stories does the land hold um, and are we open enough to to sort of listen to them um, so with that and and kind of looking at our time um, i'm going to to toss it over to, to Kate in a second to sort of close us off. But in the meantime, um, with my whole heart, shi-miigwech Tanya for spending some time with you, um, for sharing about your work, for, you know, learning about the ways that, um, that your family really helps to inspire, you know, who you are, the work that you do, um, and, I'm really looking forward to, you know, actually spending some time with you in person in the next couple of next couple of months. So um, thank you, everyone, for for spending time with us today for your thoughtful questions. And um, please do take a peek at Tanya's work. Uh, Your mind will just kind of go like. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kate, um, actually, I'll give Tanya. Do you want to do you want to say anything to kind of help us wrap up a little bit?
4: Uh, Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening and sticking around and being part of the conversation. I'm I'm happy for anyone who wants to connect in and and ask any questions later on. Just just send me an email um, and just thank you for listening.
3: All right. And with that, Kate, over to you.
2: And Tanya, thank you. You've offered beautiful examples of how we can connect and reconnect and um, how to reclaim our relatedness and relationship to biodiversity and to land. Um, And I'm also really uh, captured by this piece of your work, Tanya, about how we can call on our technologies um, in service of connection and belonging at this time. Thank you so much for the hope that you bring in your artwork Um, with that. Um, and I want to mention for everyone listening. I'm just going to reiterate. If you haven't yet read or seen Tanya or Christine's work, um, please visit humansinnature.org. You can find their essays in the Questions for a Resilient Future series under "What Stories Does the Land Hold." I know links have been dropped, um, but you can locate them there. Um, and I also really want to encourage everyone to spend some time with Tanya's artworks this week, which are just yeah, really breathtaking and, and generative and Um, give me hope. Christine, you said something that I had to write down. You know your home because you're surrounded by your relations. Um, And I think that those two questions certainly helped me start to think about home um, in this more expansive, connected, um, rooted, deeply rooted way. So um, yeah, I hope those are of service to to you, um, and I also want to mention before um, wrapping up here and tossing things back to Kira. I want to mention that in May, the Center for Center for Humans and Nature will be publishing a new question. Um, our 2023 editorial fellows, Kyla Frederick and Kate Viner, are. Um, in the process right now of putting together the series, How Do We Come Together in a Changing World? So look to the Center's newsletter and um, our homepage for announcements about when that publication launches in May. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. And Kira and Commonweal and the New School, thank you for making space for us to gather and connect and reconnect and pass it back to you.
1: Thank you. Yay. Oh, my gosh. Christine and Tanya and Kate and everyone at the Center for Humans and Nature. Thank you so much. I just, I feel so much gratitude. Um, and Tanya, thank you for bringing in the beauty of your native plants and medicines through your art and into this conversation. It's just really wonderful. Another reminder to join us March 29th for the next conversation in the series. You'll need to sign up separately for that event. Uh, Tns.commonwheel.org. Christine Lukasavage, Tanya Rooka, and the good folks—all the good folks at Center for Humans and Nature. Thank you for being with us at the New School of Commonweal. We'll see you next time. Ooh. Ooh.
0: You've been listening to a TNS Conversation with Tanya Rooka and host Christine Lukasavich. Thank you for listening to TNS, The New School at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. Our theme music was performed by Debbie Daly. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening.
4: Water my body.
5: Water